I just don't think you should be stood here embarrassing yourself like this. Me? I'm not the one causing the scene. Right, well, I think you better go now or you'll be sorry. <laughs> what are you going to do? Call Gary, ask him to beat me up. Oh, do you know, I am absolutely sick of you. You swan around here like you're God's gift. You're trying to cop up with my stuff. They're lazy enough as it is without you winding them up. And I tell you what, you jog on now or I wipe the carpet with you. Who wipes carpet? Oh, my God. You think you're so clever? You know, you're a stupid, smug Scottish git. Fair. Welcome to episode 128 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that tries to avoid the common reaction as much as possible. But this week, even we have no choice but to join to the masses of characters, fans and critics alike, air a shared opinion and add ours to their one voice when we say, What are we? A team. When are we? Now. I'm Gavin. I'm feeling deja vu all over again. Yeah, we're... Our house is kind of falling to pieces at the moment. We have... As are we. We have no heat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's below freezing outside. And part of the house has lost electricity. As we attempted to heat the house with Electric space heaters. heaters. Yeah. So, so that have, worked out well. So we have moved back into our old digs, which is my current office, which is not the actual office. It's the actual dining room. This is where stuff comes to die, isn't it? <laughs> this is just full of stuff that's just ready to be landfilled. Bags upon bags. Bubble wrap, as far as the eye can see. This is where I work. This is my workspace. So, don't knock it. And it's also one of our child's classroom, and possibly soon to be the other child's classroom, too, if I keep getting phone calls that she's absent from class. Oh, really? (sighs) The world is falling to pieces, and we are falling with it. (laughs) To sum it up. But we're here. We are we are making we're making do, but if you hear odd noises that you're not used to hearing from us like sense or <laughs> or facts. Or or dishes or or a cat. Screaming children. A heater. Yes. Cars going by outside. <laughs> Big dump trucks going by outside. The end of the world. One bit at a time. Yeah, I managed to move through our entire, I'm going to call it a studio. Uh-huh. It's not, but let's just call it that. Yeah. The mixing desk, the recorder, all the... Mics and stands. The mics and stands and, and headphones and preamps and stuff and get it set up here and it wasn't working. And then you got it working. And then I got it working. <laughs> well, I tried to clear the table and, and tidy things up a wee bit more than they were. We have some space. At least we have no spaghetti junction of cables at the moment i'll try and try and keep this when we move back through again yes if we move back through again or if we just pack up the stuff and just (laughs) abandon this place and (laughs) go and live somewhere warm oh i was thinking canada that's not warm there's no warm places in canada in the winter no no well in that case that's out of the question (laughs) How's your week? I don't even know if I can be bothered to ask. How's your week been? Well, you know, things are slowly moving 
back inside and stuff and all of my meetings are now on Zoom except for the one meeting where one member does not own a computer, does not own a smartphone, so we cannot do Zoom, but we'll be meeting outside to tear down playground equipment, which is something we were planning on doing anyway and just not having a regular meeting. You say we. We as in the other members of my subcommittee. Ah, okay. Not you. Okay, good. You don't have to rip anything down unless you want to. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the strangest double entendre I think I've ever heard. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I put it on oh, YouTube. You did. We're on YouTube now. I don't. I think I did this for when I die, and <laughs> you can't figure out how to uh, keep this going, or probably even wouldn't want to keep this going. And then, eventually, my payment won't hit Podbean, and we'll lose the account, and the stuff will fall off. Then at least it'll still be the YouTube stuff, right? Yeah, right. Is the, so is we, the correct So we have to do to that. that with uh, common language and Squarecast too. I don't know how I'm going to figure that out because I'm going to require other free accounts with the same provider to allow me to convert MP3 into video. Oh. Or, or as you heard that, blah, 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 <laughs> Skylander. Skylander, yes. <laughs> blah, 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 they are very quick to point out that you have copyright material on you. <laughs> Mr. Lou from a couple of weeks ago and uh, Mr. Boombastic from last week. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that we were talking over both of them. Right. And they went on for very long. No. Uh, one got flagged as being a copyright flag. Uh-huh. But it just means that it demonetizes the video, which is fine because we're not going to make any money off the video anyway. Well, you and never the know. second one, the, the Boombastic one, Shaggy apparently doesn't like his stuff being on... YouTube and to <laughs> give me an option of either take the whole thing down or or take the whole thing down or just take off his bit of, bit of music from it. Makes you wonder how much uh, Coronation Street paid to have that song playing in the episode. Yeah. More than we're willing More than we to did. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Shaggy. So when you listen to that, if anybody ever does, uh, those like 20 seconds of silence is the Mr. Bombastic stuff has been taken out and our voices on top of it. Thanks. Thanks, Ian YouTube. Thanks for that. Thanks, Shaggy. Thanks a lot. I always knew he was a more EastEnders kind of guy. <laughs> How was your week? I didn't get a chance to ask because you started talking about YouTube. Uh, it was quite busy work-wise. It was quite frustrating work-wise. Mm. And house-wise. Housewives, yeah. Because we got yet another guy coming to look at the furnace. I've been let down by <laughs> three different people trying to get this fixed. Yeah. The first guy just don't look at uh, furnaces. Even though they told you on the phone that they do. Right. The second guy has COVID. Yeah. Do you know what? If that cat was outside of this room, she'd be trying to get in. Yep. And now that she's in, she's desperate to get out. Well, now she's out, so. Uh, yeah, second guy had COVID. So he couldn't come. The third guy did come. Kind of thought we might need a new furnace. Thought about getting the replacement parts and then found out that he's not insured to do hot water boilers. But you'd think he would know before calling somebody. He said that he was surprised when he spoke to his boss about it. 
I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. So, and then he recommended the first guy that we contacted, who never got back to us, who you managed to get through to straight away. Yes, so they're coming Monday. So, and, you know, my go-to electrician, I have made a phone call and haven't heard back yet. So, if you hear the ringing of a phone at some point during the episode, that's him calling me back. I think my editing skills are such that I can cut that out. Yeah, but just in case. Unless I keep it in if it's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the guy that helped the kids and I out when you went away to Seattle and we had a horrible storm a yeah. number of years ago yeah. that knocked our power out at, for a very long time. And I was on the news. <laughs> yeah, you got on the news. Because I was like, we were like the last house in Eaton Rapids to get power back. Because of course we were. Because we had to get a brand new tower built in the back because the uh, old one was embedded in concrete. Everything buzzed. I'm Everything sure buzzed. What, I'm not sure what that was about. Well, uh, I didn't buzz. Shall we chillily we? preamble, my dear? Oh, why not? It's, it's funny that our, <laughs> um, our week just kind of coincided with the mood of Coronation Street this week. Mm. And the mood of the world. Kind of hard going. I mean, you know, there was a happy bit. There was the fact that Joe Biden won the election but now you know there's lots of people trying to tear that down too you know which causes anxiety but for one brief brief moment on saturday there was dancing in the streets and joy throughout the world as someone said on uh on twitter if 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 your loss gets the reaction of you know the death star blowing up then maybe you need to rethink your life yeah Stephen Colbert said that there was celebrating on Endor. <laughs> <laughs> Yub dub. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yub dub. Shall we have some Imperial Cory news? William Roach received new certificates from the Guinness Book of World Records this week as the show nears its 60th anniversary. Coronation Street became the longest-running soap in the world in 2010 when As the World Turns, which premiered in 1956, went off the air. So this was just an updated certificate saying, yes, you're still the longest-running soap in the world. Congratulations. On and I don't think Guinness World Records did that. Send out certificates to confirm that you're still... The record holder. Yeah. I think... I think, I think could save them some money there. I think they update it like every 10 years because they became... They they earned it in 2010. It's now 2020. I think it's every 10 years. So, congrats. And, of course, William Roach, longest running person on a soap because he was there from the very beginning, from the very first episode a long time ago. 60 years to be precise. Yes. <clears throat> The Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, died what? of COVID. <laughs> just, just, just stop. Just listen. The Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, died of COVID nineteen this week. Former Corey actor Bruce Jones, who played Les Battersby, oh, yeah. was a Yorkshire Ripper suspect as he, he discovered the body of one of the victims on an allotment. He has told Piers Morgan recently that he still has nightmares about that day. Our thanks to the coronavirus for taking one for the team. Yep. Finally. Finally, it killed a bad person. 
instead of lots of good people. Yeah. He was a pretty old man by this point. Well, yeah. I think. He would have to be. But still. Because he's been in jail. Oh, God. I think he was caught in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 1980s. The 1980s. So he's probably been in jail for like 30 years. Can you imagine, though, you know, going to your allotment to, to dig up some potatoes and there's there's a dead body there under a tarp? <sighs> I, I would still by the have way, nightmares. Rika's going. I would still have nightmares about it as well. Ugh. And then to be accused of murdering her. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you know, it caused issues with his wife and his first marriage fell apart and it oh, caused really? issues with his children and he started drinking, which caused problems, you know. Mm. Seems like there were some trust issues in that relationship. Mm. Yes. Far be it from me to, <laughs> to I mean, if offer you found, any opinion on this. If you found a dead body, would I think that you killed that person? I think it would depend upon the person. Really? What sort of person would you think I was capable of killing? This is going to be interesting. <laughs> a bad person. A person that you don't like. I don't know. I've never killed a bird. <laughs> I've never killed a bird. The I think th- I may have hit a bird with my car once. I've killed a rabbit. Have by, you? By running over it. Oh, okay. You killed a turtle. Mm-hmm. And I yelled at you. It wasn't deliberate. I didn't swear I to said, hit it. I said, stop, so I could get out of the car and take it off the road. Nope. Just kept God going. Yeah, but that, was, that was quite dead. I hit it at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> it, we heard it. We all heard it crack. <sighs> Rabbits kind of pop when you hit them. <laughs> That's a, it's not How nice, did we get? It's not anyway. a nice noise. Now I kind of wish that uh, the Yorkshire Ripper was the most prolific serial killer in the UK because then we'd be getting a lot more attention on our uh, on our common language episode about the most prolific serial killers in the UK and the US. A smooth segue there. Yeah. I don't think anyone noticed. No. Well, maybe um, the most prolific serial killer in the US will die of coronavirus. He's quite an ill old man, too. So, fingers crossed. Finally, ahead of the 60th anniversary, ITV has filmed a promotional spot, which premiered this week before I'm a Celebrity. In it, they recreate the moment on the train when Tony Warren dreams up a show about ordinary people on an ordinary street. And then is knocked back by his traveling companion, a BBC producer, who proclaims it boring and tells him to go back to sleep. Which, you know, it's a good thing he didn't. Because then we wouldn't be celebrating the 60th anniversary. So, and... We'd be talking about Emmerdale, I think. (laughs) Hollyoaks. Not Hollyoaks, I don't think I could do that. But there's been times I've been, when I've thought... What about, um... The Emma Doctor Dale. Show. What's the Doctor one? Doctors. Oh, is it called Doctors? <laughs> if it's the one I'm thinking of. When yes. I think Doctors, I think there's like a a talk show called Doctors here in the U.S. where doctors get people on to talk about their poop and stuff, and <laughs> so that's what I think when I think Doctors. I think that's one of the <laughs> premium channels that we have to subscribe to. <laughs> I don't, that's, I don't think that's free to air. I don't think I could go to ABs and say, can you put it on to the, the, the poop doctors <laughs> while I... Yeah, because Dr. Oz does the same thing. He talks about people's it's poop not a real all the doctor. time. No, but he calls himself Dr. Oz. Just that Dr. Phil is not a real doctor. 
because he had his license taken away because he's a crappy person. <laughs> anyway, lots of uh, lots of things are dreamed up on trains. Trains are the new showers because I, I I dream up all of my best ideas in the shower. But like uh, J.K. Rowling supposedly dreamed up Harry Potter while riding on a train. It's the week that we're having, but not seeing <laughs> Anyway, that's quite news. On to our mailbag. Chris got in touch on Thursday to say, fuck me, that Leanne stuff's heavy going, isn't it? <laughs> not Hard one to shy away from. Hard to disagree. He also sent a photograph of uh, the first scene that we see with Johnny back, where it does indeed look like he's on the toilet, <laughs> reading a newspaper. Struggling somewhat. Oh dear. And then Canadian Helen wrote in with some sad news. Canadian Helen is one of the first people who ever got in touch with us. A true friend of the podcast. I'm not going to go into any details, but we wish her and her family all the very best. Yes. And now, this. This is the one thing that I haven't been able to plug in properly. It's very faint. It's very faint. So I don't have to turn it down. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, there we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight, this morning, with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Let It Go. Let It Go. Yeah, we did that. <laughs> this was Stephen Tim giving Amy a hard time about stealing something, I can't remember what. Amy stole something? Tim said you were caught in CCTV. Something that belonged to him, I think, that then she then took. Amy something took something to do with that the horse? belonged to Tim? I think it might have something to do with the horse. Why would Amy steal something that belongs to the horse? Or maybe it was Faye. <laughs> Why would Faye take it? Somebody posted something on one of the uh, Coronation <laughs> Street forums, of which I'm a member, saying, does anyone else consistently get uh, confused between Faye and Amy? I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was Gavin and you hated snow. Oh, well, at least we don't have to deal with that this year (laughs) so far. Yeah, wait to make that happen. I was a bit poorly. That's me knocking Six since I came back from Florida, you'd been to Comic-Con and Patrick Warburton got you sick somehow. Let's not go into that. (laughs) You lost me shortly after that. I was working on our department's Christmas trivia for the second year and you mistook last of the summer wine for Days of Wines and Roses. I eared out a 30-year-old joke in the shape of Put the kettle on Mother I'm Parched, which was playing at the Lyceum Theatre, Chipping Sodbury. Robert's efforts in keeping Irish Tina and Michelle unaware of each other are starting to creak under the strain of so many spun yarns. Jim is tempted by the prospect of some easy baby-related money despite Chesney's protestations. Otherwise, birthday boy Steve fails to satisfactorily construct a wardrobe and then is distracted by unicorns. I remember <laughs> trying to make that wardrobe. That was quite funny. It was funny. David concocts a novel way of putting Shona's mind to ease ahead of next week's sentencing. I thought he got out of jail. Did he go back? Or did she go back? I can't remember. Who knows? Maria has got to the point in her life where she's spending evenings hanging out with Gail and Audrey. Emma gets lucky. <laughs> Craig is tired of being everyone's Commissioner Gordon. Our moment of the week was Gemma's eyes when she was offered 15 grand for keeping her mouth shut about her quads. This was to Suki, the journalist. Mm. She was in a year ago. Right. She was back in a few weeks ago. Yes. She was friends with Natasha. I knew. I knew we'd seen Suki before. I knew Suki was a... Because I said, haven't we seen Suki before? And you're like, I'm not sure. I thought I would have remembered the name. Yeah. Turns out I didn't remember the name. No, I did. 
And our boring moment of the week was Daniel's Heathcliff moment on the moors of supposedly Scotland until he was found by Peter. <laughs> and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. I miss Daniel. Yeah, boring moment of the week is so, so much harder. So consistently <laughs> himself. You do you, Daniel. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Oh, yes, please. <sighs> you got the sun in your eyes? No. I have the devil on my back, though. <laughs> Don't we all? I... This was a difficult week to put together. Yes. Yes, it was. So what I've done is, there were kind of three strands that all went through the knicker factory on Monday. So I've kind of kept them together on Monday. Uh-huh. And then they split up into separate stories on Wednesday. Uh-huh. And then they're, they're not mentioned again on Friday because Friday was all... All of our stuff. Yes. All, all over, all the time. So... Only I tried to really. break it into separate stories from Monday, but it was too difficult. Uh, and it was getting late. And yeah. I was tired. Yes. And, and, and you had to redo your notes on Wednesday. My Wednesday notes were lost. So I had to, to sit the and ether. watch. So the idea of sitting through Wednesday twice and then not doing this because we have no power in half the house and no heating. <laughs> I thought, God damn it, we need to do this. Yes. So on Monday... Oh, Todd, the enormous waste of space that he is, and also a colossal prick, is lazing around Eileen's. She gives him an ultimatum, get hoovering or get a job, and he chooses to go for the latter. Even though hoovering would be much easier. Mm -hmm. A peacock who doesn't work at the factory has wandered into the factory. (laughs) It's a talking peacock, and it tells Michael all about a fantastic opportunity that's fallen into its lap. Do peacocks have laps? No. Laps don't exist until you sit down. Right, and peacocks can't sit down. They can, they like do the little nesting, squatting thing. They can squat, but that doesn't generate a lap. No. Anyway. Apparently you can buy that shirt and it's very expensive. Really? Like in real life. Like it's a real life shirt. Just like the butterfly thing in the Bailey's house. You can buy that as well, which is like what? 200 bucks? A hundred-ish. Yeah. A hundred and something, I think. It's taking its future by the scruff of the neck and has learned of an unspecific opportunity in town this afternoon. Michael worries that it's a scam, but the peacock tells him to live a little, take a chance. So they leave, but Sarah has her wires crossed and didn't realise she'd authorised them to have the same afternoon off. She blames Oliver. You stay classy, Sarah. What are, what are all these people going to do when Oliver dies and they can't use him as an excuse anymore? Right. Todd sees all this and schmoozes his way over to Sarah, claiming to be the world's best salesman, and asks for a trial. He says, not hiring him would be a false economy. Sarah seems to think that this guy who disappeared for three years might be the very fellow that she needs to turn her fortunes around. Todd's first job is to send Alina over to Roy's Rolls for a sausage roll. There she meets Adam, who turns out the charm, which does nothing for Alina or Nina, who watches on from the counter. After Alina leaves, Adam mournfully reckons that he's a 9 out of 10 with a fancy accent and she should be all over him. Nina stares at him like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck are you looking up? The price of that thing that we've already talked about. Yeah, sixty pounds, which honestly isn't that bad. For what that top? Yeah. The peacock thing. Sixty pounds, but it's uh, available on the Harvey Nichols website. Harvey Nichols, that Harvey is an Nichols expensive shop. Dot com. Well, there's your birthday present bought. Where's Sean getting money for Harvey Nichols? <laughs> Maybe we're not supposed to know that he got it from Harvey Nichols. I think he's shoplifting. Mm. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? No. Carol, <laughs> Carol bought it for him. Or no, his <laughs> ex-wife bought it for him as consolation for taking Dylan back. Just to show off. Hmm. 
at the factory, Paul is stunned to see Todd working in the office, on the phone, feet up on the table, looking like a prick. Sarah comes in and wonders if there's a problem here. Kirk explains that Paul is none too pleased to see Todd working there. And as Sarki Sarah apologises for not running the hiring decision past Paul. She tells Paul to keep his personal issues to himself. Yeah. At which point, Paul should say, go fuck yourself. Right. Sayonara, Sarah. Yeah, because... She says she gets all snippy with she gets all snippy with Paul about this, but does she say anything to Todd? No. No, because it's it's nepotism and it's favoritism because Todd was her friend. Mm-hmm. So back at Royal Rolls, Billy is boring Nina about the new job opportunity he has and how the bishop is meeting them at the flat later to discuss the outcome of the job interview from two weeks ago. It and is impossible. She totally knocks him back. I love it. Loved it. Love it. It is impossible though to hear the word bishop and not think there's some there's something crude going on here there's, or there's some really? classical element yeah for every time you mention the bishop you expect a a, a comedy siren to, to, to sound <laughs> and somebody to get a a flan in the face oh here comes a child into the room <laughs> you may remember Stella from such podcasts as Spongebob Squarecast Spongebob's Grip Heads podcast. Right. So, uh, back at... Have I said about that? Yeah. Nina pisses on Billy's chips, wondering if it could be good news after so long or have a handful of other candidates already turned it down. And face-to-face doesn't sound too hopeful neither. Somewhat belatedly, Billy wonders if he should warn Paul about the potential of a bishop on the couch later. The Peacock and Michael are back from their seminar thing. What's his name? Who was who that fat, crude comedian who had that show in like the 60s or 70s that had the music? It was British. I hated it. It was on Comedy Central. What's that guy's name? The little fat guy. The little fat British guy who's always like running after scantily clad women. Oh, Benny Hill. Yes. The 60s? <laughs> oh, maybe the 60s. Yeah, you, it, yeah, it is. Start, you're right. It is starting to sound like a like a Benny Hill sketch in the seventies. One 60s. of the women that Benny Hill chased after, the scantily clad woman that <laughs> he chased after, was Jane Leaves, who you may know as Daphne from Frasier. She was a Benny Hill girl. Yikes. Anyway. The Peacock and Michael are back from their seminar thing and they've bought the rights to a beauty product that's going to change their lives. Which I, doesn't sound anything like what Sean was describing before. Well, it didn't describe it was, anything. It was supposed to be very like this, vague. you know, this seminar for inspiring you to get creative with your creative abilities and monetize your creative abilities. But now it just sounds like a scam. Yeah, which is what Eileen no, thinks it is. Pyramid thing. Like that uh, Rogan and Fields thing. Yeah, or like that that guy. <laughs> Wait, am I calling that a pyramid? I think I am. Yeah. It relies on you signing up other people. Right. Apparently there aren't enough people in the world to build a, a seven-person tall tower. For a pyramid scheme? Mm-hmm. Nexium started out as a pyramid scheme too before it became a sex cult. Uh, it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> 
Later at the factory, Sarah continues to badger Paul, telling him to go easy on the derogatory nicknames for Todd. She doesn't want bad blood in her team. Paul insists that he's only there for the Doremi and wonders if Sarah will be having this chat with Dickface over there. Maybe, says Sarah. And then starts spouting on about a team night out at Speed Dial for tonight and the factory will be picking up the tab. Over oh, fuck's sake, says Paul, who tries to get out of it, but Sarah insists that he goes. So now you're going to make me eat with him as well? Yeah, seriously, Sarah is not a very good boss. No. She's really not. I'm so glad Carla's back in the factory because... Something will get done. Yeah. Kirk is very excited about the curry night out. Alina doesn't like curry. Oh well. Paul and Todd are barely concealing their contempt for each other. Paul would rather have the cash. Kirk attempts to raise the spirits with a stirring and repetitive rendition of What are we building? A team! When are we building it? Now! Alina and Todd fall for this and get enthusiastic. Paul wants to die. Adam is in speed dial when the knicker people descend for their five-person team night out. Todd meets Adam for the first time when they exchange pleasantries while Kirk wonders why it's a standing buffet. Alina says it's so the five of them can mingle. There's only five of them there. Yeah. And yet this is like a huge factory. And yet Sarah made it seem like Paul has to go, that it's mandatory. And yet (laughs) it seems like lots of people from the factory didn't have to go. And it wasn't mandatory for them. Well, Sean wasn't there because they had a the day off. Michael wasn't there because he had the day off. Where's Beth? Beth was there. Was she? She was at the factory earlier, was, but was, I don't remember her being at there? Speed Doll. Sarah was there. Todd was there. Oh, no, no. Alina was there. Beth had to leave because Kirk she had to go. Beth had to leave to take care of uh, Birdie. And um, uh, Todd makes a really dick comment about how she should be getting paid for that. Which oh, yeah. Paul says, That's family. it's family. You know, family takes care of one another. Mm-hmm. Who am I missing then? There are uh, all those people who have non-speaking well, Dirk roles. Dirk wasn't there. Dirk wasn't there, which makes me sad. And like all those other people that you see in the background who never speak, but work at the factory. I'm going to mention Dirk a little bit later. Good. <laughs> <laughs> The more mentions of Dirk, the better. I think we're going to find out who that other person was just as we go on. (laughs) Anyway, uh, between Adam being there and all of our secondary and Kirk going on about how they can't eat standing up, Sarah's stressed out of her tits. It gets even worse when Adam starts laying it out for Alina again. Back at Eileen's, the Undertaker turns up who has agreed to be Sean's guinea pig. The Undertaker has flowers and is pleased to... Isn't it funny though, imagine that it's... WWE's The Undertaker. The Undertaker. <laughs> you know what? I think that's fun. You know what? I can see him being in a relationship with Mary and that working. The, the Undertaker? Yes. That would be hilarious. It would be hilarious. But they would be delightful together. They really would. Mary does need a seven foot tall <laughs> boyfriend. She does. She needs a massive, huge guy. And then here's little Mary. That would be the best. Only if they film it like <laughs> they filmed Police Squad. Where you had Al and you'll never saw him from the shoulders <laughs> down. And Frank Drebin would look up and say, I think it was Al. Al, you've got you've got a little bit of food in the corner of your mouth. And then, <laughs> and then a sausage fell. <laughs> a whole sausage fell down. <laughs> ah, I've yes. Lost, I've lost my place again. Yes. Mary needs a wrestling boyfriend. So, 
yeah, the Undertaker has flowers and is pleased to hear Mary isn't home and tells Eileen how beautiful she is. You can't improve on perfection. Eileen does an Elvis snarl. A speed dial, Paul's getting stuck in at the booze when and Sarah, throws up in her mouth a little. When Sarah announces Kirk's team building event, they split into pairs. Alina's with Todd, Sarah's with Paul. Yes, yeah, so that's the five. Alina, mm. Todd, Sarah, Paul, and Kirk. Todd sings. He'd be wise never to do that again. Kirk's idea is a film quote quiz, and Todd is annoyingly good at it, which removes any team building aspect to the exercise. Right, and calls out without raising his hand. Mm-hmm. No one follows Kirk's rule of putting their hand up. Paul gets wasted. Meanwhile, Alina takes a piss out of Adam for eating korma. Sarah does not approve of this interaction, and Paul cheerfully announces that he has Billy waiting at home, so he leaves the rest of them to it. Although he does get one question right. It's a 300 question, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 300. And Todd guesses something else. What does Todd guess? Braveheart? (laughs) Or something? Anyway. Anyway. After Sean's work, the Undertaker is pleased with the results, but the product is 35 quid a stick. He insists it's a good deal and then flounces off. The Undertaker leaves too, making it crystal clear that he's well to Eileen, not Mary. Later, Eileen explains to Mary about what happened with Flirty, the Undertaker. He's a wrong one. She doesn't want to see Mary getting messed about. Mary didn't think they were that well suited anyway, so we'll put him right. Sisters before Mister says Mary. So that was kind of over and done with without much... Well, she's still sad. She didn't say sisters before mister. She says she did. She says sisters before something else, doesn't she? Wrestlers? <laughs> no, she did say misters. It's sisters before misters. It is sisters before misters, but it. she said something that was like slightly off, I thought. But anyway, but yeah, it's the way something more will come of this. You think? It has to. This can't be over already. Because she still has to work with George, because George is a client of the flower shop. Mm-hmm. So let's just roll the farce aspect of the Benny Hill storyline into one quick paragraph, shall we? Billy is running around spring air freshener ahead of the bishop's visit, trying to get a hold of Billy. Then the bishop arrives. Now, Paul. Billy is not trying to get a hold of Billy. Oh, he has a quote in my notes. <laughs> the bishop arrives, gives an idea that Billy is in for the archdeacon job, and then goes off for a shit. Then Paul comes home, pissed, and misunderstands what Billy means when he says the, the bishop, bishop is, is in, in the, the bathroom. bathroom. How can he misunderstand that? Does that 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 well, isn't you, rude? You you as well seem to think that talking about the bishop is is rude. So yeah, but when you add things like he's in the bathroom, I don't know. Well, what do you do in the bathroom? You get naked and take a shower. Maybe he. He's doing a shit. I, Paul strips. Then the bishop comes out of the bathroom and sees him. Paul is unrepentant and calls Billy sex mad when Billy tells him to go to his bed. The bishop leaves without telling Billy if he has a job or with, with Billy not accepting the job. It's kind of left up mm. in the air. And the bishop, when he comes out, he says, is it safe to come out? <laughs> and looks uh, looks at Paul and it's hard to interpret his look if it's horror or horniness. You think the bishop's gay as well? I is think- that a big gay church that they've got? <laughs> it is a big gay church. Oh, yes, it's a big gay church in a big gay world. The team building fiasco at Speeddale is winding up. Sarah leaves despite clocking that Alina and Adam are hanging back. Todd apologises to Adam for everything, and Adam is happy to let it go. It was three years of water under the proverbial. He's so more what interested. happened between the two of them three years ago? Just well, Todd worked for him and then oh. just took off. Took off. Ah. He's more interested in walking Alina home and going out with her, but uh, she 
doesn't make a decision and says that she'll get back to him. Just mm-hmm. string him along a little bit. And that's as far as we get with that on Monday. And already people have said to her, he's a rungan. He was married to your boss. He is married to your boss. And she keeps replying with, I don't know. He seems nice. Which is just... I have uh, been fairly ambivalent towards Alina. As we get further on in the week, it feels like she's deliberately trying to be a bit of a minx. On Wednesday, the story from part of what we just talked about becomes mm-hmm. Paul's well, the bell ends well. Mm-hmm. Billy is on the phone to the bishop and leaves a message asking about the Archdeacon job that didn't get resolved on Monday. It seems Paul and his rainbow unicorn onesie was a bit worse for wear on Monday, or worser than we thought. Worser? More worse. Because he doesn't remember any of this. He's totally blacked it out. He's taken the day off work to find a new job, and Billy automatically thinks this is because of Todd, but Paul says he's bored packing knickers. Billy, sanctimonious prick that he is, seems to think that this is all Paul is good for, though, and isn't convinced. Totally forgot about the unicorn onesie, so... Later. Put that on the shopping list for your Christmas. Later, Paul With leaves... the peacock shirt. I keep on talking, it won't happen. <laughs> Later, Paul leaves the flat and immediately runs into Billy and his man bag, who immediately gets a call from the bishop. Billy and his man bag pretend that it's bad news to make Paul feel awful, but it turns out Billy and his man bag is only playing an hilarious practical joke, and he is going to be the new archdeacon after all. Ho ho! So funny. It's a Everybody Simon does off. this. Everybody does this on the street. You were just... Wonderful. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you have just one hair from your mustache that is longer than all the others, and it's like covering your mouth, mm-hmm. and it's so distracting. I know. I, I really how, need to trim how, that. how on earth did you not trim that one hair? <laughs> oh, I've got much, much longer ones here. Almost. Yeah. Well, it's becoming a throat those beard. Are, those aren't covering your mouth, though. Did I tell you, Nick shaved his throat beard? Good. He's clean shaven now, which Good. looks weird looks wrong good <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway billy wants to do lunch but not like that but paul has decided to get back to work after all because billy was right and all paul is capable of is packing knickers in a knicker factory uh. so paul goes into the factory and checks in with sarah she continues to be a bit of a cow to him about todd telling him that it's not good enough that he and todd keep out of each other's way like paul is offering right they need to get on with each other but they don't, because one packs the knickers and one sells the knickers. They're in two different parts of the factory. They don't need to work together. Right. Sarah is a shit boss. Mm-hmm. She is, though, wearing leather trousers. Later, Todd and Paul have a little bit of banter. Paul thinks it's weird working with Billy's ex, but he can work with it. Todd points out that Billy also did Sean, and probably Dirk. Todd suggests... <laughs> Todd suggests that they need to get to know each other better over lunch, but Paul isn't feeling too clever and has plans with Billy anyway. But, yeah. he's, he's, but he's careful to refer to Billy now as the boyfriend. Right. Billy and Paul are in the rovers when Todd comes in looking to join them. Uh, sorry, they were just on their way out. Then Todd brings up Summer and wants to get to see her. Billy points out that she's with, with Geraldine and doesn't know where, when she's going to come back and she doesn't even know that he's here. If Todd can hang around until she comes back, he will tell her then. And they leave, and Todd looks a bit annoyed. And I thought, I'm a little sad. And a little alone. And it's like, it's your own fucking fault, you fucking loser. I hate you. (laughs) Now let's investigate the Alina and Adam part from Monday on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Peter and Carl are back. Yay! Because they went on a 
a sailing holiday. Holiday, which if if you're going to go on holiday during a pandemic, two people alone on a boat is probably the way to go. Right. Peter wastes no time ripping the piss out of Johnny about the bistro job thing. And Johnny tries to explain what happened with Scott and how he wasn't really friend with him after all and all that stuff. And while Peter is happy to let all this wash over him, Carla definitely smells a rat. Yeah, because he, he makes it out like he had no idea that Scott was a, ba- was a wrong'un. Yep, 40 years ago. Yeah, because yeah, only Jenny knows the truth. Later, Peter doesn't know if his clothes need a white wash or a coloured wash. He and Johnny talk about sailing holidays until Carla's so pissed off at the interruptions that she takes her laptop to the factory to get some fucking work done. Johnny suggests that Peter does a, a lights wash at 30 degrees just to be on the safe side. Right. You'll be well suited for the prison laundry, says Peter. Yes, he does. A herd of elephants have just run through our house. Yep. At the factory, Todd has the horns. Cream horns, that is, for the knicker uh-huh. people. Beth is impressed but thinks if Todd is trying to impress Alina, he'll have his work cut out for him, given that Adam is sniffing around her already. Todd insists that Alina is one bobby short of the type that he's normally interested in. Alina isn't impressed. And you'd think Beth would know that. Doesn't everybody Doesn't know? does she know that? Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird thing for Beth to say, mm-hmm. considering... I, it's... Unless... Is, is Todd bisexual? No, I just think he's gay. Yeah. I don't know. That was a weird comment by Beth. Alina is impressed that she and Adam are the talk of the knicker factory, although she admits that she thinks that he's cute. Cute and married, says Beth. He's nice. Or is she? Sally barks at them to keep it down, because Sarah will be able to hear them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is a bit where I think Alina's been a bit of a bitch. She goes to speak with Sarah just as Carla nips out to meet that client at the tram stop, and Sarah's mm-hmm. keen to meet him at the factory rather than at the bistro. Yeah, the one with the Russian name. Abdullah? Oh, I thought or it was Abdul. something. I thought, I thought it was something Russian. I don't know. No, Sarah was on the phone to a um, a Chinese sounding client, Chang or Chiang. Yeah, but who they were meeting with somebody else. Anyway, yeah. anyway. So, uh, Alina apologizes to Sarah for earlier and the gossip about her and Adam. Sarah says it's not her business, but Alina keeps on going on about it being awkward, and then asks if it's okay for her to see him. Sarah can't make this any fucking clearer. She's sick of talking about it. She isn't bothered, and she tells Alina to bolt. And once Alina bolts, Sarah looks like she's totally bothered by it. Right, yeah. So the Knicker Factory staff are all outside because they think they saw a rat. Along comes Adam. So they did see a rat. Who thinks Alina... A big Scottish rat. Right, who asks Alina out for lunch before... But before she can answer, Sarah comes out and orders everyone back to work, including you, Alina. When they're gone, she and Adam have a little set too with each other. She accuses him of getting with Alina just to annoy her, which he denies and he calls her jealous. She tells him to fuck off away from the factory or she'll wipe the carpet with him. Who wipes the carpet? asks Adam. <laughs> Sarah's furious at this and yells at him, calling him a stupid, smarmy Scottish git, just as Carla and the important client come round the corner. Ah, Sarah, says Carla. Here's the important client. After the meeting... Haven't Car- we had a scene like this recently as well, where... Somebody who's important in the factory is yelling at somebody in the street and then an important client runs up. Oh, it was an important client who was on the phone in his car. Yeah. Remember? And he's not getting out of the car and Carla and Sarah are getting annoyed. And then when he finally gets out of the car, he hears Carla yelling at somebody. Carla is arguing with Adam about her relationship with Peter. And then later on, Carla will throw... A stapler. 
Oh, I've been Made of wood. On. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a. Yeah, they need to stop doing this so close, so close together. I don't think they know how. <laughs> After the meeting, Carla wonders what the fuck is up with Sarah and isn't impressed when Sarah wants to phone the important client to explain. Sarah explains that Adam is chasing after Lena right under her nose, and then there's the Oliver stuff. Yes. But she's not letting Adam beat her, and she's a fat day, factory to run because Carla tells her to go home. So Carla goes off to speak with Alina and advises her to stay clear of Adam as he's still married to Alina's boss. Alina still seems to be deliberately winding people up about this. He seems nice, she says as she stirs her tea, and Sarah said it was over. Carla points out that they still love each other and Alina's probably being used and only one person is going to get hurt out of all of this and it's going to be you. I don't think she's being bitchy. I think she's naive. I think she's very, very naive. Because let's remember, she doesn't have an awful lot of experience with dating and men. Her experience is being a nail salon slave and Seb. And that's it. Right. So I think she's just she's just really, really, really naive when it comes to men and stuff. Matters of the heart. Yes. Because... Any woman would know when Sarah says, no, it's fine. Do whatever you want. I don't care. Any woman with any experience whatsoever would know she's lying and just don't do it. There are other people to date and they're still married. So even if Sarah says, no, it's fine. It's really not fine. You know, especially and you don't. Even if, even if, even if they were divorced, it's really not advisable to date somebody who used to be married to your boss. I was going to say that with it being such a small knicker factory, uh-huh. where a team building event can have four people and your boss, right? Probably isn't advisable to get with the boss's, even if they were ex mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. But I was going to say, if it was a bigger company, like where I work, uh-huh. know, like thousands of people, still probably wouldn't be advisable no. to be going out with your boss's ex. No. And I think I think that situation of you being in that team probably wouldn't be allowed to continue for very much no. longer if that did transpire. Because there's a, you're just asking for problems further down the line. Absolutely. Accusations of unfair treatment and stuff right. like that. Yeah. So it's yeah, in everyone's, it's everyone's best interest for not to do it. Uh, not to shit on your own doorstep kind of thing. You know who was not at the team building thing? Who Lots works at the people. factory? Toya. Oh, everyone's forgotten that she works there. Yeah. I just remembered because I remembered that thing where she and Michael were like competing against one another for something. That's or... four people to have working in sales now. Because Alina's working in sales, Todd is working in sales, Michael is working in sales, and, and Toya is working, working in sales. So they have more people working in sales than they have packing the knickers. Yeah, because that's only two people. Right. And yet, and yet Sarah won't allow Kirk to hire more people to help with packing. <laughs> Maybe just hire another salesman then. <laughs> Sarah's a very bad what boss. A terrible, terrible boss. Uh, well, she's, I hope Oliver dies soon, just so Nick can get back in the factory. Well, I think I just hope that Oliver dies soon. But um, the, oh, such a 
fictional character. <laughs> and this, I'm just. Uh, you oh, will get to it. We'll get to that. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. The the fact is, though, that how much experience does Sarah have in in running a manufacturing company? None. <laughs> She's learning it on the go because her brother is part owner. Is it well at the time was like the owner. So he said, yeah, sure. You can help run the factory. So there's nepotism right there. Yeah. <laughs> How is that fact? You know what? Ray Weinstein should sneakily buy <laughs> because it's going to run itself into the ground eventually anyway. It's <laughs> but then again, people have been saying that ever since the Nicker factory was opened. Yeah, she's she doesn't know what she's doing. Carla must be just just out of her mind with frustrations at this. The restraint Carla has. No wonder she was trying to check her email at home as opposed to going to the factory. Hi. And for Carla to have to sit Alina down and say, look, this is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And for Sarah to not say, look, this is not a good idea to Alina when Alina shows up. And you know, and asks her point blank. You can get why, why, why you can why? get why Adam doesn't, or at least doesn't care. Yeah, because he is trying to get back at her. Yeah, he's trying and to make it. And if he gets to Shagalina along the way, then sure, because like he even makes a Gary dig where they're yelling at each other in the street. That's right. A random Gary dig that wasn't really Gary called dig. for. Oh, because Sarah wanted them to move on from where they were standing right. on the street. Which is perfectly entitled to do. Right. Oh, what are you going to do? You're going to get Gary to come and beat me up. What? What? <laughs> Look, you asshole. Just, just move. Beat it. Uh, anyway. I'm so glad you're not that kind of Scotsman. Hanging about in the streets, outside factories. Trying to shag <sighs> my employees. <laughs> yes, that type of Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> So, later on the street, Adam bumps into Alina. His shirt is undone pretty much to his belly button. He asks her to dinner, but she doesn't think it's a good idea. Sarah is boss after all. This is too complicated for her. This, apparently, is complicated. It isn't complicated. He's married to your boss. It would be complicated. You know, dating him would be complicated. It isn't complicated. It's very straightforward. Well, yeah. Not doing it is very straightforward but if she did do it that would complicate things and she doesn't yeah which is again one of the reasons why I think she's more naive than trying to wind people up she very much does what she's told doesn't she after a fashion well she was a slave in a nail salon (laughs) I guess there's form so Adam (laughs) who doesn't work at the factory goes to the factory to see Sarah but sees Carla instead last time these two were together wooden items of office stationery were turned around (laughs) She calls him pig dumb for sniffing around Alina to get back to Sarah. She calls him a dog on heat and warns him off. He says, well, we'll think about that. Mm-hmm. And off he goes. Yeah, because initially he thinks that Sarah is the one who warned Alina off. And Carla's like, no, I want you to know it was me. So that's it. Your moment of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I think, we ha- I think we've got through... We've got through these uh, secondary stories without really saying what we think about them at the end, which is what we normally do. Mm-hmm. So let's just mush them all together. What we've talked about basically is... Uh, 
the gay Benny Hill farce I could do with less. And I don't know if Billy is really going to do this bishoping job because wouldn't he have to move off the street? And, you know, we're going to see Summer with a new face here pretty soon, which will be interesting. So obviously she will want to see Todd. Do you think she'll be happy to see him or tell him off? Well, she and Todd were very close. Yes. Because Todd Todd was really the one who did his best to make a go of taking care of her. Because mm. Billy didn't really know what he was doing. No. <laughs> and was probably addicted to No, he wasn't addicted that to painkillers yet. That was afterwards. But uh, but yeah, I remember them being fairly tight. Mm-hmm. But that just means that her disappointment is going to be yeah. even greater. That means that it really, really hurt her when he just took off. Right. And didn't say anything yeah. and for three years. Yeah. Hmm. But. But she'll have a new face. And, so who knows? And people don't really stay angry with each other for 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 very long periods of time unless the gods of plot demand it. You know, do you think uh, Summer is going to parent trap Billy and Todd? Mm. I think. Or attempt I think to the stars are aligned. That either I'm, I'm curious why Todd has been suddenly kind of nice to Paul. Because I think he's realized that that's not going to help him in his plot to get Billy back. Mm. That that just makes Billy angry. So being nice to him might it, make Billy soften. It kind of made me wonder if he was attempting to almost seduce Paul. Paul. Yeah. Mm. No. I don't want to see that. I would, nobody wants to see that, but I, I wonder. I wonder if that was a thing. And what was the other story that we? Well, we kind of talked about the lean about. Yeah, we did. The, the, I, the George and Undertaker bit. We talked about that as well. Yeah. I just maybe we did talk about it then. Yeah. So fuck yourself. Fuck it. <laughs> so now. So now, we have to talk about. We're going to be talking about this for a while. Yeah. And it's it's going to be heavy going, folks, because it is heavy going. Uh, some bits I liked. The... Some bits made me want to throw furniture. Every time I kind of stuck my head in here, you were you were crying at it. Yeah. I was crying and crying and crying, and then I got very angry. <laughs> yeah, I kind of realized what bit you were getting angry at as I was typing up my notes before we even spoke about it. I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, Helen's not going to like this. No. <laughs> And you are right, and that's why we're married. This is Oliver's legal army. On Monday, Leanne has spent the weekend at the hospital, and Nick is still on the ship books with her, despite Steve's suggestion that he was only doing what he thought was for the best. Nick is irrelevant, she says. Leanne's thoughts turn to the dictaphone, and worries that Wendy the Guardian might drop them in it. For reasons not fully explored, Steve doesn't think she'd kick them when they're down, but he wishes they'd never stolen the bloody thing in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, well, they shouldn't have. No. Back in the street, Simon is apologising for getting Nick into trouble. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Along comes Tracy, who learns that Leanne didn't come home last night. Nick doesn't know whether to go to court, as he's the enemy now, but Tracy thinks Leanne will need him. At the court, we learn that Wendy the Guardian took the doctor's side after all. Leanne is furious and takes it out on Imran, but he explains that Elliot thinks that they can convince a judge otherwise. Imran says they'll get their day tomorrow. 
Steve thinks that they have more heft as parents than Wendy the Guardian has as an appointed guardian. But Leanne isn't convinced, especially now that Nick is against them. Yeah, we find out off screen that Wendy the Guardian has decided to court favor with the, you know, side with the, the hospital. I, I, I felt like it was really kind of unfair for, for that to be the case. And also for us to find out about this before the hearing, because you would think that this would be part of the hearing. It was. Yeah, but we don't get to see it. Well, it was kind of obvious, wasn't it? She's never going to take... It would have been... The evidence is compelling. It would have been really dramatic to have to hear her testimony, I thought. I don't know. Because, you know, you're sitting there and you're waiting for the Guardian to speak. And, you know, as a parent, you don't know necessarily because you're too deep into it which way it's going to go. Anyway, I, I, I thought it was kind of sad that that we don't we don't get to see that in comes tracy who asks if it's okay to wait outside with nick and leanne is very sure that she doesn't want him anywhere near the court and he can fuck off for a boy's day out with sam for all she cares <sighs> tracy tries to make a case for nick but it's a lost cause and leanne tells her to leave too steve thinks it might be for the best meanwhile nick turns up at the hospital and sees toya he insists that sam doesn't change the, p- the pain that he feels for oliver and Toya appreciates that. He wants to sit with Oliver, but Toya isn't sure that that's such a great idea, and Leanne would go mental. Nick worries that losing Oliver and then losing each other is kind of on the cards. Yeah, and it's not going to be good for either one of them. At the court, it's Dr. Howard's turn on the stand. She carefully explains that the sedation is keeping Oliver alive, and without it, he'd be seizing uncontrollably, in pain, doing permanent damage to his brain and liver. She takes a harshness off by sympathising with Steve and Leanne, knowing that they're good, loving parents. Good and loving parents. Leanne, in particular, is not the least bit interested in these platitudes. Howard thinks the best thing, the most compassionate thing for Oliver, is for him to be allowed to die peacefully. And with dignity. Afterwards, Leanne thinks it was a disaster. All the medical stuff has been aired, and she reckons that the judge has made up her mind already. She calls Howard a disgrace, and Steve agrees. Elliot has shown up, and he tells him to go home and get some rest, but Leanne is off to the hospital. This is three hours she'll never get back to spend with Oliver. Almost getting it. Almost. Almost understanding it. So close. Right. So close. So back at home, Leanne is picking up some things for Oliver and Steve is under orders from Toya to get a glass of wine down her neck before going back to the hospital. For supposedly thinking Nick is irrelevant, Leanne goes on to bash Nick for having the nerve to eat fish and chips and reckon he'll already be planning his future with Sam. It's moments like that that are very difficult to sympathise with Leanne. Yeah, I... And and it's not Jane's fault because she didn't write these words that no. they make Leanne speak. She's doing she's doing her very best with with the script she's been given. Yeah. And I give her a lot of credit for that. I'm not sure it's entirely a a bad script or a but it is making it it's making Leanne very unsympathetic. Yes. And Yes. Because <laughs> it was like almost like, how dare Nick enjoy fish and chips when well, Oliver's dying? It's it's like the other day when it was like, how dare the guardian ad litem enjoy a latte? Uh-huh. You know, it's very much in that. It's like it. I, I yes, it's <laughs> absolutely. Could have been written better. (laughs) (laughs) 
Unless that's what they're playing it for. Right. To make her unsympathetic? I would hope not. I mean, this is... Uh... Yes. <laughs> She's very much of the opinion that you're with me or you're against me. And if you're against me and you're against Oliver, then... Then you're not allowed to eat or drink right. or laugh or right. talk to people. Or exist. Right. Steve isn't comfortable with this Barsby chap. They reminisce about how Leanne got knocked up in the first place. They thought of him as a mistake back then. Oliver's army, says Leanne. Some army, it's just Steve, her, Toya and Simon. And Steve reminds her of Tracy, Amy and Emma. But Leanne isn't really listening. In- no. And that's the kind of... Kind of forebodes where we're going with this week that mm-hmm. Leanne is very happy to narrow down the us camp as much as possible. Right. It's almost like the fewer people that are in the us camp, the stronger they are. If the if everyone's on her side, then she has no power. But if if they're against the odds, if there's more people against them than for them, then that gives her the strength and that gives her the power to to continue doing what she's doing. Correct. Leanne thinks Steve is the only one who truly gets her. He understands the batter's being her and she goes off for more plonk. She's polishing off the next bottle when she starts going on about Nick some more and then how Steve is a, big, a magnificent dad and then she decides to start chasing Steve around the kitchen counter again with a Benny Hill. Uh, he calls her drunk but she wants her whole off him. Yeah. Take me to bed, Steve. I think it's remarkable that that Steve doesn't. God, now we have a dog that's desperate to get in here. He's staring at me. All right, now he's gone. <laughs> she quickly sobers up and realises what she's done. He's happy to let it slide, so to speak, and jokes <laughs> with how irresistible he is. He get, he tells her to give Nick a chance and Leanne asks if she can be alone with Oliver tonight, which kind of puts Steve's nose out of joint a little bit because he was Right, gonna... yeah, it's like, and uh, how dare she? How dare she? And she does this. She does this all the time. Like, she's the only boss of Oliver. She's the only one. You know, to tell Oliver's dad, no, you can't be in the room with him tonight. You know, this night before this big, huge judgment, only I can be there. I want to be alone. It's yeah. There's aspects of this that I can can understand, and and, and then there are aspects that just I don't get why that had to be a thing. No, because nothing really is achieved from it. No, because except we... to put Steve's nose out of joint. But then you know? he doesn't react to it as if. Well, he reacts a little bit. He's upset about it. He's upset. But then he just lets her have her way. People need to stop letting her have her way. It's too late. Uh, so Steve gets home. It's been a tough day. Oh, maybe this is why this happens. Mm-hmm. So Steve can go home. Yeah, this is why this happens. Mm-hmm. So we can cut all of that out. Yeah. Because <laughs> Steve has to go home for the next bit to happen. Steve gets home. It's been a tough day. And, and he's upset because he's not allowed to be with Oliver. And he doesn't want to talk about it. And Tracy's made dinner. Haven't I suffered enough? Asks Steve. <laughs> Tracy wants to talk to Leanne, but Steve doesn't think that's a great idea. She doesn't want to be bothered, and he snaps her to just leave it, and he goes off for a wee lie down. 
so Tracy's on the phone to Toya, who makes Tracy even more concerned about Leanne, who appears to be having a meltdown at the hospital. Tracy is sure that something's happened between her and Steve, and she swears to find out. And incidentally, it seems that she grabs a butcher's knife. You can hear a knife getting dragged across <laughs> a table, but you never see it. And it was like kind of the sound effect thing of the, the wooden stapler all over again, but you could definitely hear a, a Halloween grab a, noise, grab a knife type noise. Did you hear it? No, I don't I don't remember it. I'm gonna it's Tracy. She has killed. She will kill again. Steve gets up and Tracy explains what was happening with Leanne at the hospital. She, Steve admits that Leanne came on to him, but it was grief talking and there was nothing in it. He explains what happened and he didn't shag her, so he didn't knock her up again. He apologises for not mentioning it when he got home and asked Tracy not to kick off with Leanne. I won't be long, Tracy says as she leaves. Grabbing the butcher knife from right. her hand. So Tracy arrives at the hospital. Oh, he batters me. Leanne is immediately apologetic and defensive, but it turns out Tracy were only kidding. She doesn't actually give a fuck that Leanne came on to her husband after all. <laughs> she explains how it's difficult because she's hated Leanne for so long, but she's full of admiration for her now instead. She's always thought Leanne was a great mum. Leanne apologises for forcing her away earlier, but Tracy just doesn't know how she's coping these days. Tracy starts to lay on a bit too thick and wants to give Leanne a hug. Leanne says that she loves Oliver, but she's worried that things aren't going to go their way. On Wednesday at the hospital, Steve has explained to Oliver about what the day holds for them when he gets a reminder on his phone that it's time to leave for the court, but he'll be back later on tonight to lead the, read the last of the Mr. Man books, The Twelve Days of Christmas, which I've never considered to be canon. <laughs> I, I, I wondered about that because it's not... It's really a Mr. Muddle book. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting that all of a sudden they're they're reading the Mr. Man books to him. After you mentioned the Mr. Man books like two weeks ago. Because before they were reading Thomas and Peter Pan talking about dead children. Remember? This no, is I the first time they've no, been reading the Mr. No, Man. I think they were reading Mr. Man books last week. Otherwise, why did I mention... You mentioned him because of topsy-turvy. Because we said something was going topsy-turvy. And I said, topsy-turvy sounds too delightful to be, to be used in this situation. And you said... Well, that's because you've never met Mr. Topsy-Turvy. And then we had a whole discussion about your mum and you reading the Mr. Man books, but not reading the Little Miss books. Oh, I never got to finish the point I was trying to make with that last week. So let's <laughs> let's go back and finish that off. So but to speak. The point that I was trying to make was <laughs> that I had all those Mr. Man books. They mm-hmm. meant a great deal to me. And my mum gave them away. She gave them a children's hospital, right enough. Right, she yeah. She still she gave them away. Right. They she g- never told me about it. Well, <laughs> she gives. It, it's not like she threw them out, like she did with your Playboys. Oh, please, Mafia. <laughs> anyway, I think there might have been a razzle in there as well. <laughs> oh, that was a, that was a Mafia kind of guy. Anyway. Meanwhile on the corridor, Leanne is explaining to Toya that she doesn't want Oliver to be left on his own and there's to be no visitors. She and Steve discuss how they're going to treat today and Leanne in particular is on edge as Steve goes over telling the court how Oliver reacts to stimulus. It's, it's, it, and, and again, you know, I don't want him to be left alone, so I don't want you to go and get any food or go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. But he's not allowed to have any other visitors but you. I... 
On the street, Peter runs into Nick outside his shitty car. Peter has heard about the Leanne stuff and advises him to stick by her. She'll come round eventually. Nick isn't so sure, but Peter says that they both know what she's like. Don't give up on her. You know what she's like. At the court, a tireless Simon is anxiously pacing the floor in the waiting room when Leanne takes this moment to notice that Steve also isn't wearing a tie and totally gets stuck into him. How could he be so stupid? Doesn't he realise how important this is? This is Oliver's last chance. And here Steve is brazenly unashamed of his shut buttons and a harangued Steve goes off to find a tie from Elliot who must surely be carrying a spare. Right, but it's okay that Simon's not wearing one. Right. Leanne's shenanigans now has Simon shit in a brick in case he messes up. Then she'll never forgive him, and Leanne is forced to backtrack and tell him how proud she is of him standing up for his brother. Steve comes back with a posh tie that he did get from all, did get from Elliot, and they all go into court. It's silk. Later, the case has started and Simon's up first. The lawyer representing the hospital start questioning about uh, how hard these last few weeks have been. Simon says he has a big family supporting him, and the doctors are wrong. Doctors are wrong all the time, and they need to find better doctors. They got the diagnosis wrong to start with, after all. So why should they trust them now? And Leanne sits there chuffed, and next it's Leanne's turn. She's playing nice with Elliot about how she doesn't agree with the hospital's assessment. They haven't looked into America or China for treatment, and they've already put the kibosh in Germany. USA. He checks that Leanne knows Oliver can't be kept on life support indefinitely and she appreciates this but thinks a cure may be around the corner and needs to be alive for when that happens and she goes on to read from her notebook of instances where Oliver has apparently reacted to external stimuli like blinking and fingers moving when there's been a a noise or someone's read a poem. She has a book full of such incidents that show there's hope for Oliver. Mm. Leanne is somewhat less pleasant to the hospital's lawyer disputing that the doctors have been consistent and that the reflexes Oliver has been experiencing have been involuntary. The hospital are pushing an agenda, she says. They want to save money. However, with a bit of legal swerve, the lawyer gets Leanne to admit that Oliver does have other involuntary reflex reflex reactions and there's a possibility that this is what Leanne has been taking notes about. No further questions, the lawyer says, and Leanne is outraged that this is it. She has other stuff to say. The judge points out that this is an emotional case and suggests a break, but Leanne gets stuck into the judge about, have you got kids? She doesn't want to break. She wants to make sure everyone understands that Oliver is her son and needs to be saved. She goes on for a bit longer and then seems to come back in the room and realises that she just might have fucked everything up. So everyone is a bit shell-shocked back in the waiting room. Simon heads home. Elliot thinks Leanne did well. It's an emotional case after all, but the hospital have a strong case and they may need to start accepting that they might not win it. Leanne demands that Elliot lets her back in the witness box, which clearly isn't going to happen. Elliot tells them that they've done everything they could, but Leanne is inconsolable, thinking that she's betrayed her own son. Oofed. Um, they, uh... I'm trying to figure out, because the hospital's attorney there in the episode, she looks really, really familiar, and I'm trying to remember where I've seen her before. And it's driving me crazy. Anyway. Back in the street, Emma and Amy are talking about feeling guilty because they couldn't be arsed testifying. Then Scoop McGee, hotshot reporter from the Weather Gazette, is hanging around the street wanting the inside track on the Oliver situation. Amy tells Scoop McGee to stick her story up her arse. Right, right up her arse. Up her arse. And then Fizz turns up to add some muscle and Scoop is escorted from the scene. Fizz advises them not to worry about stuff that they can't do anything about and Emma calls Fizz a big owl. I thought they already got rid of because they got rid of Suki and now this other attorney this other this is this is part of the story that 
just really irritates me because it comes up later that, oh, I heard about blah, blah, blah on the news before people are even able to call one another. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, you know what it reminds me of? Frasier. Yeah, this has got Frasier written all over it. No, and and you have spoken about this before. You know how everybody in Seattle, everybody in Seattle apparently listens Listen to, to Fraser's show yep. and can recognize him Good afternoon. wherever he goes. <laughs> oh, you're Fraser Crane, the famous radio why, psychiatrist. Why? Yes, yes, I am. You know. Well, Suki was doing a story on. Uh, Oliver's condition and Sam being the uh, the great little brother, big brother, big brother, big brother. But it wasn't really supposed Skip to be about McGee Sam. Is doing the court case. Yeah, but it's a court case. Court cases. It's not even probably the only court case of the day. The court hears lots of cases. This would be a a big story. This would probably be a national story in the UK. Well, yeah, that last one. Was an international story, in mm-hmm. fact. So I think there'd be more than the Wedding Gazette battering down the Emma's door. Yeah, so but they it. don't even. It's only random that the people that the two people that she finds on the street to talk about Oliver just happen to be Oliver's sisters. Well, Scoot McGee is standing in the middle of the street and overhears Emma and Amy talking about how guilty they feel about not. No, because she's surprised when she said, "Oh, you're his sisters." No, she walks up after they say that. She's there as they say it. It's just, I don't know. It It's this this and a certain phone call, which will come up later, <laughs> just really irritated me and it felt lazy. Anyway, continue. Nick, Nick turns up at the hospital to see Oliver. Toya's not pleased as he's going behind Leanne's back, but he pleads that this might be his last visit and he promises not to hang around. He says he didn't want any of this. He wanted him to get better. None of this is right. So Toya says, well, why don't you switch off the machine then? There's no one here. And she won't say a word. It'll be peaceful and it'll be over and done with. But Nick can't do that. It'll kill him. Aha, says Toya. Because that is exactly what Nick is asking Leanne to do. That was an odd wee scene, wasn't it? It was. It was. And Toya's only half right there. Because, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be Leanne switching off the machine. And letting Oliver die with dignity. Well, effectively, yes. That, you know. But... Toy is skirting over the fact that Oliver's already gone. So Steve's up next to face the hospital's lawyer. Save the Muppet faces for last. He actually (laughs) does pretty well. He explains that they didn't want to come to this, but he's Oliver's dad in the hospital. I've got it wrong. He's no expert, but he sees his son every day. He wants his son back, and the doctors are the ones that are supposed to do that. He gets emotional and is told to take his time, and that, he says, is exactly what they should be doing for Oliver. Give him all the time he needs to find a cure. They all want what's best. For Oliver. Back at the flat and out at guilt, Amy and Emma have bought Simon a new FIFA and he's totally made up by it. Yeah, I liked that scene. That was very sweet when they, you know, when he comes in and, you know, Emma's just gotten it to start downloading and everything. I, I like, I like the sibling group. The sibling group, I can imagine, will grow up to be very much like Nick and Sarah and David, where it's obviously love one another, but they, you know, but they tease one another and everything as well. And, and none of them seem to be entirely sure how they're related to each other. <laughs> all, all Emma seems to know is they've all got different mums. 
Right. And that's true. Yes. So later, Toy and Nick are talking about Oliver being Leanne's miracle baby, and this is going to destroy her. Toya thinks that they'll be there for her, but Nick knows that Leanne doesn't want anything more to do with him. The love has gone from her eyes, and it ain't coming back. Nick says that he's going to lose everything. Oliver, Leanne, and his family. So fuck you, Gail. Fuck you, David. <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Sarah. Sarah. Fuck you, Max. <laughs> fuck you, Lily. Fuck you, Audrey. Fuck you, Sinkhole. At the court, the hospital lawyer is making her closing remarks. Wendy the Guardian doesn't think Oliver has much of a chance and neither do the doctors. Oliver has a short life to look forward to, artificially sustained with perhaps some suffering. They recommend that Oliver be allowed to pass peacefully. Up gets Elliot, who essentially repeats what Steve said. The law has a presumption for the sanctity of life and Oliver deserves a right for more time. Leanne doesn't quite think that this was the end of a few good men good, but it's good enough to earn a smile. Steve, oddly, doesn't seem all that convinced. He kind of has an expression on his face that says, if this relies on something that I've said. Well, no, I th- I think he's more impacted by, you know, the great detail given to describing the fact that if Oliver's not sedated, it will be torture. But they've been saying be this pain. for weeks still. I know, but it seems like it's only just now starting to sink in with him, right. which is interesting. Did, how, what did you think of Steve's speech, which seemed to be kind of like off the cuff and on the fly and very <laughs> in, I, I, intellectual and 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 well-measured and not Steve-like at all? Uh, uh. So, I think they intentionally, this is where I started to worry about the words that was used in my notes, thinking, oh, Helen's not going to like this. Um, I thought he provided a nice counterpoint to uh, the <laughs> the emotional, if Leanne was the emotional side of the brain than Steve was more kind of rational. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And I wondered how it would have looked had... The roles been reversed? From the start. Hmm. I wondered if that would have been a more interesting story to tell. Hmm. There is the mother aspect of it that I think is it's kind of important. You know, there's there's this, I can't remember where I, I heard it, but it's almost on a certain level that men, as a rule, don't trust that kids are theirs. Women know that kids are theirs because they have the kid. I think it was, who was it? It was Sarah Pascoe. She's written a, a book about... Uh, sex and why why that the penis isn't I'm not going to be broadcasting any of this but the no you should the, the, way that interesting. The, the way that the penis is formed as a kind of helmet is to extract semen that's already there mm-hmm. that if you go back far enough into the you know the, the not quite caveman stuff but but men are kind of conditioned 
to treat children differently and almost with suspicion was her point. Whereas the woman, being the, the, the kind of textbook nurturer, feels far different. So seeing a mother give up on her child is probably difficult. Like we had the conversation about Elaine abandoning Tim to save herself. Mm-hmm. Didn't it, it jars with you a little bit because mothers aren't supposed to do that. Right? Or mothers are supposed to take the child with them. Leaving the child with the dad is kind of... It's not the norm. But having th- said all that... I think, I I think, think a lot of that... We are conditioned. Well, that's the whole point. Right. Whereas it's, it's, not, it's not that these things are true. It's that we have been conditioned by society and pop culture and television and movies and music and books and everything that this is the case. And I don't think we do mothers and women in general a service when we continue to support that conditioning. Yeah, it's the pre- the presentation or the lack of presentation of a mother who has a rational, uh, measured response to something as potentially emotionally wrecking as, as this is. That presenting Liana's going well the doctors have done all that they can mm-hmm. this is about making sure that Oliver's last moments on earth are as comfortable as possible because he isn't going to get better and accepting right. that and accepting that is uh, I, I think they're treating that as would be jarring that's okay for Steve to do it eventually and it's okay for Nick to do it but it's not okay for... And, and the, the doctors as well are kind of treated as being almost... Not asexual, but... The doctors are women so that Leanne can basically say, do you have kids? Mm-hmm. And the judge as is a, a woman. Mother, as a mother to mother. And the judge is a woman so that and Leanne the can say... Women. Yeah, well, the hospital's lawyer's a woman. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so she can say, do you have kids? Right. Nobody... Nope. N- nobody asks Elliot... If he, has, if he kids. has kids, right? Yeah, yeah. I and yes, this it. And again, you know, women every day are having to make these hard decisions. Women before their children are even born are making these hard decisions. I think one of the reasons why abortion is such a huge tipping point for people is because they have been conditioned to think that a woman is supposed to do all she can to continue the species Mm -hmm. that it's a woman's responsibility to continue the species and not to be making extremely difficult decisions in the best interest of her child and herself and that sometimes that best interest is not keeping the child with her whether it's Elaine escaping Tim's dad or Amy getting an abortion or Leanne accepting that Oliver is gone. 
and and again it, you know it's it's very difficult as a woman and as a mother to see this sort of conditioned expectation continued in front of my eyes on a television show which is all stuff that I was fully prepared to say when we finally got to the end of this right. which we haven't even gotten to right. so let's keep going <laughs> that Sarah Pascoe thing is interesting it's, it's very interesting way, yeah she's on uh, Richard Herring's Rahulistapu and it's a it's a really good interview because yeah. Richard Herring it's <laughs> She's the guy he's talking about, basically, and right. and an awful lot of the, the, the stuff. Right. Although he is a very sweet father to his to his children. Yeah. Yeah. He has he has a past. Anyway. Right. Yes. So it took all... him a long time to get to be the sweet father to his children. Right. Yes. It's all done, and Elliot reminds them of the strength in the hospital's case, which suddenly seems to give Leanne pause. Steve suggests that they go home for rest, but Leanne has to go to the hospital to see Oliver. Yes, says Steve with a sigh. And I thought that yes, says Steve with a sigh was a little telling. Mm -hmm. So Leanne gets to the hospital earlier than expected and is super pissed to see that Nick is there and that Toya has let him see Oliver. Nick doesn't love Oliver. He wants him dead, says Leanne. So Toya leaves him to it. And Nick says, he's my son too. No, he's not. And he never was. And he never will be. So she advises him to go and play with Sam. Why are you hurting me? He asks. Because you hurt me, she says. He thinks she needs him like he needs her, but she disagrees and tells him to fuck off forever. Steve and Leanne are with Oliver and she asks if he's going to read to him. He explains that this Mr. Man book is the last one. Well, then you start again, she says. And she leaves him to it. Are you ready, mate? Asks Steve. This is the last one. Yeah, that was. There was. That, yeah. This that this is this is the point where I started to tear up. Mm-hmm. So they finally made. They have fine. Congratulations, Coronation Street! You finally made me care about this fictitious child that we <laughs> barely got to see very much of when he was healthy. Right. So on Friday, the entire episode is about the storyline. Leanne has slept to the hospital again, as has Steve. Leanne nips out for a pish and Steve finishes the Mr. Man book. These things are 48 pages long, 24 of which are illustrations. It's taken them an awful long time to finish it. Right. But then we go, that's it. They've read the Thomas books and all the Mr. Man books and all the Little Miss books. And then he checks on his phone and finds, oh, wait a minute, there's tons more Little Men, uh, Mr. Men and Little Miss books. We then get a potted history of the origin of the Mr. Man books and how uh, the son of Roger Hargreaves started it all off by asking his dad, what does a tickle look like? Steve orders the new books for new, for next day delivery, which confuses Steve because it's only five o'clock in the morning and he can't work out when next day is. <laughs> and then they start off again with Mr. Tickle. I liked that. I, you know, I liked the little, funny. the little factoid about Roger Hargreaves and... Mm-hmm. And, and and everything and you know the association with his son right just kind of like uh a. a milne and winnie the pooh yeah everyone is already up when toy gets up he's been looking over the case which seems a little bit weird because everything that can be done has already been done mm-hmm. toy is lucky to have him man and wonders how leanne will do without nick nick is also up early and gets an early morning visitor from sarah he's been checking his mail and he's got a get well card from sam it's got uh, something about the power of positivity. Right, on the yes. Of it. Make sure that Oliver sees this ASAP. The power of positivity is very important. Mm-hmm. Nick will get rid of it because Leanne can't see it. No. S- Sarah wasn't sure if Nick would still be there and he offers 
and offers him the inflatable matches round at number eight. She's joking though, don't give up on her. Sarah offers to sit with Oliver while everyone is at court and Nick thinks that Toya's going to be doing that but you know, strength in numbers and all that. Then Tracy, Simon and Amy are walking ominously down the middle of the street towards Emma. The decision is today on Friday the 13th of all days. Simon <laughs> thinks that they have the result in the bag. They talk about what they're going to do and Tracy suggests that Emma does some more money laundering or goes gun running but in the end they all just agree to stick together. Yeah. And then we get uh, a scene with Ed and Aggie Yes. Walking down the street where Ed, well, Ed seems to think that the doctors have got it all wrong and Aggie's there to argue the NHS point. Yes. Aggie insists that the decision would have been made objectively without emotion, as difficult as that seems to be believed. And this year that they've just had, after everything they've been through, the doctors and nurses just do their job. They put love and care into it and still they get treated like the enemy. Still they do what needs to be done and they just go on with their jobs. So this is obviously, I don't know if this is inserted recently yeah. or as an afterthought, Yeah. but this was definitely a... It was definitely needed because absolutely. of It's been needed for a while, been, let's, be, let's be honest. Yeah, this is, as as we said from the very beginning of this, this is not really the year to have a storyline that goes after the NHS. No. <sighs> we did, I did pause this as mm-hmm. I was writing my notes and you had come into the office. Remember when we still had power in the office? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good times and it was paused at a kind of angle it was almost at street level yes looking up at Aggie and Ed as they walked down the street and mm-hmm. the, the the buildings behind them was absolutely beautifully yeah it's a beautiful shot. shot and with Aggie's coat that orange coat right you know being the only real pop of color mm-hmm. on the street yeah yeah it was Something very else. it was very very beautifully shot and and Aggie's you know little there are there are lots of uh, soliloquies this week, and this is one of them. You know, and this is it, it's it's a fair point. You know, these doctors and these nurses every day are seeing people die yep. because we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's another <laughs> there's another little nod towards this uh, in a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, Sarah's at the hospital, so Leanne and Steve can leave for court. Leanne's pleased to see Sarah. It's good that Oliver has his auntie Sarah there. His family, it's good to have his family around him, even though the only way she's auntie Sarah is if Nick is the dad. Who doesn't exist. Sarah kind of mentions Nick, but Leanne doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. Steve is outside on his phone with Eileen chasing up the taxi that hasn't turned up when he hears another guy on his phone complaining that his kid's surgery couldn't have happened yesterday because Dr. Howarth was at court. There are other sick kids in the world, Mr. Emotional Driver guy says, and some of them can be saved. And we have a little... Yeah, that annoyed me. Yeah, it was a little on the nose, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a little too on the nose. You know, somebody having that conversation wouldn't be doing it quite so loudly. You know, where Steve could hear it. I'm talking about his kid as well. Right. We have a wee scene that's meant to be a light re- relief where David and Gail are chatting about the case. Gail's in a tizzy and has burnt herself ironing because David's forced her to turn around to look at the microwave to see what time it is. David is either nonplussed or pretending to be nonplussed and has to be cajoled into speaking with Nick once the verdict is made. Meanwhile, Sarah is along with Oliver and doesn't know what to do. A nurse suggests reading like Steve does or singing like Leanne does or just chat. So Sarah just chats. Yeah, and... Well, and eventually things. Eventually the whole things. Gail and David scene that made me a bit weepy too. Because it? Oh. no, I I liked it because it was it was showing. I mean, this is kind of what we've been talking about how this 
this story impacts so many different people on the street and so many people have a relationship with Oliver and the fact that, you know, Gail is ironing and, you know, Gail has her coping mechanisms and David has his coping mechanisms and you can tell they both care and everything. And I just, it was, it was very well done. And unlike an awful lot of other stuff that happens this week, it was two form and two character, you know, this, this is exactly how these characters would be coping and how they would be coping together with one another, you know? Another quote, Steve has somehow thought it was a good idea to tell Leanne about the emotional trigger guy from earlier. She's unimpressed. The hospital staff shortage isn't their problem. Then along comes Nick and Leanne couldn't give a monkey's either way and she storms off. Of course you should be here, says Steve. You're his dad too. And that was they, nice. <clears throat> they all settle into their seats in court and have to stand up when the judge comes in. So we go through a little montage as the judge recaps the current situation and the history of Oliver and the when did the Guardian's report. Dr. Schmitz even gets a name check, but only to attest that he agrees with Howarth. Oliver is growing, thanks to his feeding tube, but his brain cannot repair itself and he has no prospect of recovery. The bleakness of the situation is clear. It was right to explore, explore alternatives and question every decision, but the judge is convinced that continuing with the life support isn't in Oliver's best interest. It's up to the parents in the hospital now to decide the time to withdraw life support. He needs his family around him as his life comes to a dignified end. And Leanne stands up and begs for a different decision as the judge leaves. And the lawyer for the hospital looks like she wants to leave, but she just stays put for the time being. Right. And there's, in in interspersed with the judge, is Sarah singing to Oliver and stuff. Yeah. And I thought that was very well done. And it was very accurate. Because this is exactly what happens when a judge gives their, you know, gives their decisions. In a lot of shows, they'll just have the judge come up and say, in light of blah, 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 I find this way or that way. But in real life, it really does happen this way where the judge goes on mm -hmm. and on and recounts every little detail. Yeah, you're sitting there thinking, why is the judge just repeating what so-and-so said and they're repeating what so-and-so said so everyone knows that the judge heard it? Right. So and the that, judge has heard everything, is repeating everything, recounting everything at great length. Apparently, it took them an hour. To support their decision. Right. Yeah. Which is only right. Yes. So in various rooms and families across the street, everyone gets a text with the news. Sarah, who has picked up from Toya, because Toya's outside in the uh, in the corridor and mm -hmm. has picked up what, um, Sarah, what Leanne's told her. Sarah admits to Oliver that she's rusty with this because... Because Harry thinks that he's too old to be sung to anymore and mm -hmm. she doesn't know any more songs. But then she seems to remember the Sky Boat song of all things, which has a certain Scottish influence about it, given yes. that it's about Bonnie Prince Charlie. And it makes, you may wonder if this is realising that there's, you know, maybe there is a chance for the two of them after all, that mm -hmm. maybe you should sort of take stock of what you've got and all that kind I of thing. I do thing. like that song. I wish, I wish we would have heard more of it. That was good. Back at the court, Elliot and Imran are trying to explain what happens next, but Leanne wants to just talk about the appeal. The judge was wrong. Elliot agrees applying for an appeal is possible, but the judge can refuse it. And Imran points out that it's often refused, that the judge spent an hour explaining uh, her decision. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to back down from that after yeah. she's done that. Elliot thinks that they may get lucky and have an appeal granted, but it's going to be unlikely to be successful. Nick tries to make Leanne see the futility of it all, but she tells him that he doesn't have a say anymore. 
Irwin asks Steve what he thinks, and when he's silent, Leanne tells him that they need to appeal, and Steve, currently kind of badgered into this by Leanne, has to agree. At home, Amy is angry, but seemingly angry at Leanne for thinking that she knew better than the doctors, and this mm-hmm. has just been a complete waste of time, which Emma and Simon strongly object to. Steve phones and explains about the appeal, and Tracy is confused, as is Amy, who asks if there's new evidence. Tracy passes up back to Steve. What new evidence do you have? And Steve can't answer. Because there is none. Right. And So that's Steve kind of making up his mind that this appeal is just... Right. Not a here, great idea. Here, here comes the logical dads. Right. <laughs> Marching in. Logical dads. And Amy. Yeah, but Amy's not there. And Tracy. <laughs> well, Tracy's a cow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is. Of course, Tracy's going to be the one logical woman because she has killed. Well, I can't say that again. She's already said it. <laughs> Nick's back at the street and gets a call from Gail, but you can't talk to her or David at the moment. He needs time on his own, and he begs her to stop phoning because apparently she's been phoning like a million times. Right. He gets out of the car, and Natasha's there waiting for him to give her condolences. She saw the verdict online. Nick asks her to ask Sam to lay off with the mail, and then explains that Leanne wants to appeal and doesn't understand. Natasha does, though, and Nick admits that maybe he does too. They go in for a cup of tea, and meanwhile, Gail heads to the Rovers for a super big G&T. There's not much hope left, she says, so Jenny grabs a bottle, texts Sean that he's needed, and the two of them go and get mullered together. Yeah, and everybody everybody there, from Gemma to other people. <laughs> to other people, yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody is, you know... Kirk's there, I think. And is, yeah, and everybody is... Who thinks an appeal is a great idea. Uh, well, yeah, but that's because he's not... Leanne gets back to the hospital and relieves Sarah. Meanwhile, Dr. Howarth arrives and Leanne immediately leaps down her throat. You're not turning off the machines. You're not killing my boy. And Howarth agrees. That's not what they're doing. Howarth explains again how they've done everything possible. They want a better outcome. And Howarth personally would do everything that she could to secure one and has done everything. Mm -hmm. Leanne doesn't want to hear this and storms off for a coffee. Back at the flat, Nick blames himself for not explaining how he felt earlier to Leanne. He was frightened of her sadness and so he avoided the truth. Natasha joins a line of people telling Nick not to give up on Leanne, but this is what Nick does. He betrays people. He wishes he could blindly keep going. If he had, he'd be there with her now, with them both. So Steve at the hospital continues his chat to all over about Mr. Mind Books. Mr. Tickle Tickles, Mr. Wrong always gets things wrong. Steve says he never got Oliver wrong, and he can't mess this up more than he already has done. He promised that he'd do better for Oliver's next birthday party, but he's sorry, and he's going to have to break that promise. In comes Leanne with the battle plan for the appeal. <sighs> Maybe there are trials abroad that they've missed. And Steve just tells her to stop. He thinks it's time. And now Leanne turns on Steve. He asks if she was listening to the judge today. And all that she heard was someone's opinion. Steve starts to read from the judge's recommendation and insists that Leanne listens to this. And he talks about the levels of considerable suffering Oliver would have to endure if they continued the life support. Oliver can't hear them, he says. His seizures are getting worse. Are we sure that they're not hurting him? And she accuses him of going for the easy option, but he says this is the hardest thing. It's about Oliver, it's not about him. So you're saying I'm doing this for me, asks Leanne? Yes, says Steve. And she tells him to leave. He's let them down like everyone else, but he refuses to run away. She hates him for this, but then begs him not to give up. He's not given up, but turn off the machines is for the best. Oliver has been gone for a long time, he says. Yeah. There's no hope. 
She says that he doesn't love Oliver as much as she does Ugh. and that he's jealous of Nick and he always what? has been. Steve says he's sorry, but he thinks what she's doing is wrong and he won't support the appeal. She breaks down, begging him not to kill their boy, but he still refuses and she tells him to leave them alone. So he does. And Steve collapses on a bench outside. The emotional trigger guy from earlier asks if he's okay. His little girl's going to pull through after all. And he calls his staff superheroes. Tracy arrives with some overnight stuff. And Steve says he won't be needing it. Leanne's throwing them out. It's over. So back in the hospital, the nurses are talking about Leanne and how she's on her own now. And in the hospital room, Leanne begins to read Mr. Tickle. And that's how we end this week's episodes. I mean, I've, I've already said... What I meant to say here, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, you know, oh, mothers are supposed to be, you know, and women in general are supposed to be so overly emotional. And of course, you know, and I keep seeing these articles saying that, you know, how dare you be, how dare people be so hard on the Anne? She's a mother. So, of course, she's acting like this. And again, I've said this before and I will say it again, that shits on every single real life actual mother out there who is having to make this decision every single day all over the world there are women who have to make this decision and they do and to say that it's the the only decision a mother can make is to be illogical and to fight you know and not admit that their child is gone it's just such a disservice to real live actual women out there. And it just, it, it upsets me so much that they, that this has continued as long as it has and that they've just, they've given Leanne such awful things to say about people, other people on the show. And as we've pointed out and as other people have pointed out the whole Nick is not family, but Sarah is still family and, you know, all this other stuff. It makes me very angry and very upset at the show for presenting it this way. Is it a story? Is it a good story? Is it a story that is important because of the world we live in and the fact that children die every day? Yes. Is it right to present it as this is the only way, this is the only way mothers should react if their children are dying. No. I don't think they're presenting it as the only way. I think they're presenting it as one way. And it's a way that you could easily imagine that Leanne would be 90% of what we've seen based on Leanne's character, that she isn't someone who's likely to give up on anything, let alone... Our son. She is that kind of tenacious person. She's, and, she, and she always has been. She is unlikely to give Where up. Where I think it has uh, gone too far is that she is not for one moment entertaining anything other than what she thinks. And this is what this is what we've been building up to for weeks is she is now alone. Mm-hmm. And that's where the show has been taking us, is for Leanne... To be alone in this. To push everyone away and to be the last person standing. And I would argue that Leanne, you're right. She is a tenacious character. 
She's also a strong character and a logical character. And I think some people would argue at times, you know, cold and calculating. And while those may not necessarily be positive aspects of her character, we have seen none of that. We have seen in the past Leanne be the rock and the supporter of her sisters, of other members of her family, of her friends. And that's not the Leanne that we are seeing here. And I think it does a disservice to the character to not say, well, wait a second. Leanne is a smart person and she's tenacious, but she's not necessarily an overly emotional person. Given that Oliver was a child that wasn't meant to happen and was that kind of punchline to a joke with her and Steve, I don't necessarily have a problem with her being with her going down this unaccepting route and not going to rest until every avenue that's open to her has been exhausted because I can I can understand that uh, Oliver is her everything what I kinda disagree with and object to is the the nastiness of her language to to other people yeah uh, including her other son right um I, I think that bit is a bit that's a bit much and has hasn't been a, a satisfying aspect of this at all i don't no. think um i don't think the acting in any way shape or form is is to be complained about i think no. i think they're doing it really well and they're pushing emotional buttons and right. like, we, we reacted emotionally to it mm-hmm. as did i'm sure the majority of people who watched it yes um i yeah I, i'm i'm not i'm not in love with with leanne desperate to be on her own in this situation and, yeah. and willing to say whatever it takes to get steve out of that fucking room right to say that she hates him, to, sh- to say that he hates Oliver, to say that right. he's always been jealous. And it's just, I, I get that she's desperate. She is pulling everything that she can to make sure that she, because she's the only one that understands us. Yeah. Or, or so she says, or so she right. imagines. Yeah, the whole, the doctors aren't right. Nick's not right. Tracy's not right. Steve's not right. No one is right but her. And... You know, the only person, because Imran did not seem very comfortable when when she started talking about an appeal and everything, and he seemed to be kind of trying to gently, well, these don't these don't tend to right. go your way and everything. And he was the one that asked Steve what he thought, because Leanne wasn't interested in asking no. Steve what he thought until... But Elliot, who is not emotionally attached to this family and only has more to gain... Is the only one, and even he's kind of like, well, you know, we can try. It may not go our way, but we can certainly try because then I can bill you more and take more of the money that you don't have that, you know, Steve's daughter broke the law to try to pay me with and everything. Yeah, but his job is to follow his client's wishes. And if his client's wishes are to 
continue fighting and to appeal. And if that is an option, then I think he's duty bound to say, well, that is an option. You can do that. Right. But he does temper it by saying it's unlikely that we're going to be accepted. And even if we do, it's unlikely that we're going to right. win. But it is an option. But, you but know, all Leanne's Leanne has not... to hear is it's an option. Yeah. But Leanne's not his only client. Steve is also his client. <laughs> you know. But Steve says he wants to appeal. Well, he kind of is bullied into it. by. Of course he's bullied into it, but that's but what he says. I, I think I have had all that I can take from the storyline. It's just... Uh, I've said my piece about how infuriating. Like, I was... You can attest to this. I was in tears. I was bawling through most of it. I was crying. I felt for Leanne. I was so sad about Oliver. I was. I finally was emotionally touched by the death of this fictitious child. And then when we get that piece, and then when we get to that piece where she's like, "Okay, well now we're going to appeal." That's when I wanted to start. My tears dried up, and I wanted to throw things because it made me so angry. It's like you've. You've given us this really emotional thing. You've really impacted us. It's so heavy. And you kind of cheapen it when you immediately go to her badgering people and bullying people again. And she's she's now a bully again and not the grieving mother. You know, it's just I'm I'm done. Moment of the week. <laughs> Oh, it's it's got to be the 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 judge reading out the the decision and the reaction and and all the cell phones going off and everything, doesn't it? I was tempted by something a little more controversial. <laughs> of course, you were. <laughs> what was your moment of the week? The striptease? I don't think the moment of the week goes to because we've awarded moment of the week for the characters in this several times yeah but I, I don't think moment of the week goes to a character this week I think moment of the week goes to Clive Arnold who directed Friday's episode and for that shot <laughs> of Aggie and Ed walking down the street and I think I'm saying that as a kind of fuck you to this story it was a beautiful shot it was a beautiful shot, and uh, you know, and I was very glad that they finally had somebody say, "What the fuck are these people ta- thinking doing this during a pandemic and shitting on the NHS?" Mm-hmm. I, I really felt like that really need, did did need to be said. I don't think we're going to win <laughs> any any uh, any contest by making that call, and also. That that shot of the judge, you know, the the way that they shot the judge reading the decision out, the fact that they were very accurate in how these things are done, which kudos to them, because as I said, most shows don't do that. Most shows won't have the judge do what judges do in real life. Yeah, that was a, that was a, the high point of having that was, an entire episode dedicated to this is that they had time to do that. Right. And and the way they kind of intertwined it with, with Sarah singing to Oliver, I thought that was beautifully shot as well. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and we don't want to get hate mail. <laughs> as much as we love the Baileys and as much as what Aggie said and the way that it was necessary and the way that it was shot was beautiful. 
I think... The judge's speech, that's fine. The that's judge's a, speech, right. We're giving it to the judge. We're not giving it to Leanne. Okay. We're giving it to the judge and Sarah. <laughs> moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. The, the team building exercise. Yeah, Kirk's quiz was terrible. That's a boring moment of the week. <laughs> boring moment of the week. Oh, so there we go. Uh, I still haven't heard from the electrician. Yeah, you need to call him again. He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you've ever had a week where your heating and your electricity has packed in at the same time, you have our sympathy. Please write them to tell us who you called to fix it, because we seem to be having some problems. With the talk of the street at gmail.com on email, which is also how you can leave an email on Skype or leave a couple of nuggets in our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We're at Quarry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And we have uh, a merch store that you can find a link to on our Twitter bio page, please, if you're so inclined. To show people that you don't work at the factory. Right. If you're so inclined, leave a, a rating and a review on iTunes podcast app thing. Is it really a factory if all they're doing is sewing knickers on sewing machines? What would you call it? I don't know. It's a fucking factory then. <laughs> Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back <laughs> next week, hopefully back in our office, with more... I'll talk out of the, the street. Cheerio. Bye.